Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. And um, also, um, it's actually, this week was Pastor Rob's, um, Robert and Helen's 21st wedding anniversary. Now, I don't know where he's gone. Is he outside there? Rob? Is he gone yet? Okay. We might be able to get him at the end of the service. But um, 21 years of marriage. And so we thank God for that. God is so good. What a wonderful testimony um, their relationship is. And what a a blessing to the body they are. We thank God for their lives. And so um, I'm going to share a few reflections from Ephesians 5. And you're thinking, but we finished Ephesians 5 last week. And I wanted to kind of revisit just a few things by way of considering the implications of of some of the learning we've been receiving. So we've been going through the word and we rejoice at the way it's been transforming us as we take it in. I mean, even as we get the opportunity to just unpack it and explore the application, Thursday was live at community group. (laughs) Live at community group. I know it was in Brixton. I don't know how you other ones do. <laughs> but it was heavy. And it's just a great time of being able to just get it in. The word of God into our souls, into our lives. And as the word says in Romans 12, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And sometimes, you know, like it says in Psalm 1, right? We're supposed to meditate on the word. You know, this, this, this journey, this Christian journey is a race, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So even as we go through the word, we don't have to feel like we need to just <clears throat> motor through and just get through it for the sake of getting through it. Furthermore, we want it to get through us and purge us and renew us and reform us. And so let's take a, a, a little minute to reflect on Ephesians 5 and So feel free to turn there. Now Ephesians 5 is just, you know, it's that chapter that's well known for a few things. Notably the the discussion on marriage. Notably for the discussion on marriage. And you know, there's, often as we approach that text, you know, you can have varied responses. You know, certain wives are like, yes, good. Now I've got him cornered. He's really going to get it. Love your wife as Christ. Love the church. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, say it again. And you'll have some husbands that are like, Hey, submission. I don't have to stress it because it's coming from the pulpit. Wives, submit to your husbands. You hear that? And we can kind of have that sense of being able to rejoice in what it's doing for others and what it's saying to others particularly in the context of marriage. 
And it's interesting because one of the most common complaints within marriage is that of the husband saying, listen, my wife is always telling me what I don't do like I don't know. Always telling me what I don't do, but seems to have great difficulty in seeing what I do. She's quick to tell me what I'm not doing, but when it comes to appreciating and recognizing and and giving some credit for what I am doing, boy, scarce. How does that work? At least give some acknowledgement for what I am doing. Now, I don't know if, if any of the married men here have ever had that feeling or if it's just me. I see a man duck, hide, and hold up his hand. You don't have to say amen, it's all right, because the Lord knows your heart, isn't it? <laughs> but the ironic thing is that very often the most common complaint of the wife is the same thing. He doesn't appreciate me, just takes me for granted. Um, chief cook and bottle washer and that's it and so we see the, the, the complaint of a lack of recognition a lack of um, due appreciation and sometimes even when we sit down in marriage counseling we recognize that you know what very often it's not that The person isn't appreciated, but it's just not expressed. It's just assumed that, you know, they know. I mean, I'm here, ain't I? So let's consider a few verses and ask the question, why don't we praise enough? Ephesians 5. I'll read the verses and then pray. Verse 15 to verse 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do come before you and thank you for your goodness towards us, your multitude of blessings towards us. We recognize, Lord, that you are so immense, you are so great, and yet you would condescend and stoop to the likes of us to involve yourself in our lives. How great you are. Lord, as we gather around your word today, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you'd convict us, that, Lord, you would speak to us, make your will known to us, Lord. As we reflect on you, in Jesus' name, amen.
Now, you might look at those verses and think, hmm, hold on a minute. They're not the verses that I would have expected you to go to. They're not the verses that your intro seemed to suggest that you might reflect on today. Well, it's intentional because the question on the floor is, why don't we praise enough? And what I'd like us to consider is some of the implications of what we understand these verses to be saying to us and what applications that might lead to. Because the issue of praise isn't something that's just limited to us and our relationship with our spouses or our family or our friends. But the issue of praise is also true of us and our, our relationship with God. It's true regarding us and our relationship with God. And so the question on the floor right now is, why don't we praise enough? And when I ask that question, I ask that actually in relation to us and the Lord. Ephesians 5 As we consider the context, we see the Lord through the book of Ephesians having been outlining and breaking down and defining what his new society looks like. His new society. That's us. There have been those who have said, you know what? You know, there are many races on this planet. And I say, no. There are not many races on this planet at all. There are actually two races. There's the human race and the church. And you're like, what about all of those other cultures? And they're all humans. Isn't the church human? We are, but we're some different level human. We're some different kind of human. You know, like when you watch those films and you're trying to work out which one's the alien because they all look alike. All of they all look human. How many of you ever remember that series V? You remember that back in the day, first time round. You remember that, bro? V. And you'd have the aliens, and they'd be there, and they just look like humans. But then they'd have these next eyelids that come this way, on the inside. And when you see that, you know it's a problem. The Bible says that we are aliens in this world. Second Corinthians five says, "If anyone is in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation." The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Now, is that not God's word? You sound unsure. All right. So if that is God's word, is it not true? We are a new what? New what? Okay. So when an individual becomes born again, They become a whole new person. For some of us, we still haven't really caught the understanding of that. We live like we're the same old person we used to be. But it's not true. We're a new creation. The old things have passed away. We've been regenerated. The spirit of the Lord lives in us. We are new. Unlike anyone else on the planet apart from those who are in the church like us. 
And so when God starts to break down and define his new society, he's talking about a different people living differently with a different set of values and goals and aims and ambitions and completely different. And from these verses, we see that one of the things that characterizes this new society is that we are a people who praise God. We are a people who praise God. Now, I'm sure you know that the, the world don't praise God, generally speaking. They don't intentionally and overtly give thanks to God and give praise to God. And there may be those that do so on occasion because they have a sense of God consciousness. And yet, that may be here and it may be there and it may be not. But for us as a church, as the people of God, one of the things that is to characterize our lives is that we praise God. This is what we see here. Now, what am I saying when I say praise God? I'm speaking of something specific that is an expression of our worship. One of the things that as we've kind of been establishing the church here, one of the things we've endeavored to do is like, you know what, call Bible things by Bible names. Call Bible things by Bible terms. Uh, We're committed to and endeavoring to rightly divide the word. If it can be rightly divided, it means it can be wrongly divided. We make ourselves accountable to that end. And if there is an area of um, teaching, doctrine, that is communicated in the life of the church generally, that in my mind is so often fudged, blurred, or mishandled is the issue of worship. Because in our culture and in our communities, we understand worship to be that time before the word. So we come in, we're going to have a time of worship, then we're going to receive the word. Some people don't even come for the time of worship because they ain't feeling it. They're just glad for the word. Real talk. Okay. But that in itself is a a completely wrong premise to base our understanding of worship. So we understand that worship is the submitted heart that is that lives in adoration of God. The word most commonly used for worship in Greek is proskuneo. And it means to, 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 to be face to face in adoration, to be bowed. And there are many words that in our English that we need to help kind of get a picture of what that means. And worship is more than singing songs. When I was coming up in the church, it was praise and worship. And so it's like praise is the fast songs and worship are the ballads. But actually, although singing is worship, 
Worship is much more than singing. Yeah? Singing is worship, but worship is much more than singing. And so in John 4.24, Jesus says, the time is coming and now is that those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And they won't worship in this place or in that place. See, God is a spirit. And those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that defines an attitude of heart that transforms into a lifestyle. Now, some of us may have even heard, you know, worship as a lifestyle. As we've spent any time in Christian circles. And it's true, worship is supposed to be a lifestyle, but it's much more than a lifestyle. Because you've got some people, they've got style, but they ain't got the life. Know how to sing, know how to wave, know how to run, know how to jump and shout. But when you look for fruit now, hey, you're looking hard. So worship is a lifestyle, but it's much more than a lifestyle. It's not cosmetic. It's not merely external. It's an attitude of heart that is consistent. And yet we see praise as an expression of that. And praise is to commend, speak highly of, or to a person. It can be a thing that we praise. Some people speak more highly of their Mac or their iPhone than they do the Lord. And more frequently too. Boy, Siri. What you have to do is just talk to it, you know, and just send you a text. Oi! So what's the Lord doing in your life? Well, you know. Bless, 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 bless. Yeah, bless, bless, bless. And so sometimes we, we can be more quick and find it easier to praise things than we even do the Lord. But that's what we speak about when we're speaking about praise. Now, one of the things we see is that praise is not subject to who we are. When it comes to praise, and these verses here, you look at verse 19, it talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. This is something that is is done and openly expressed. In some of your translations, the following, the the remainder of that verse says, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That would be better translated, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And so the expression of our praise in song is something that is not based on who we are. Well, I'm not that kind of person, you know, because man a man's got reputation to consider. So man, just just cool in it. You know what I mean, I don't really want to be just like expressing myself like that. People just take me for a fool. Uh, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be surprised certain guys, as believers, as Christians, have the attitude. 
It's not, this, this is a word that is given to all believers, wherever you come from, wherever you live, whatever your background, whatever your personality type, this is a word to all believers. No, it's not based on us. It's not based on how we feel. So when things are going well, we're ready to wave our praise. And when they ain't, we're not. Fair weather friends. It's not based on us or how we feel. It's not based on however good we feel God has been to us or not. It's based on who he is. It's based on who he he is. God is worth our praise. You know what? This is a a deep-seated conviction. Sometimes I'll say, Lord, you know what? If you never done another thing for me, you have already done too much. It's based on who God is. Not how we feel or our circumstances or our personality type. God is worth our expressed praise. It's not based on the style. Ouch. Where's Will, man? Pastor E's on the drum, mashing up the songs. Can't get in the zone today. Where's Reese with the bass, man? We need some bass line. We've got subs of nothing coming out of him. Where's Tim with the guitar, man? I just missed the guitar, all this keyboard business. It's not based on the style. It's based on who God is. And you see, the reality is that we can be guilty of idolatry when it comes to God's praise. Because we begin to worship the form and make the form greater than who God is. The very thing that God has given us to praise him, we take that and exalt that and say, well, I can't get into praise unless. Unless it's got a little swing to it or unless it's soft and it's emotive and reflective. And and we can be guilty of idolatry because we exalt the thing We exalt the creation above the creator. You see, God is the creator. God is the creator and on that basis alone, he is worthy of our praise. Having a hard time. Dissatisfied with my life. Well, actually... That is no reason not to praise God because he gave you the life to be dissatisfied with. If it wasn't for him, you would have no life to be dissatisfied with. God is our creator. He made us. He is worthy of our praise. Being our creator, our maker, our author, he is authoritative completely and entirely. The supreme authority. And so, even that in itself, 
sets him in a place where we are to honor and revere and speak highly of him. God is not just our creator, he's our sustainer. God sustains us. The Bible says in Colossians that by the word of God's power, all things are held together. All things are sustained by Christ. Our very, our very bodies are held together by the word of his power. He's our sustainer. It's not just that he, you know, he provides for us and sustains us. I know God is able. He put food on my table. Amen. It's true. It is, it is true. I'm not hating on that. That's all I ever heard growing up, but I am not hating on it because it's true. But God is so much more than that. He sustains our very existence. Not only is God our sustainer, but he is our redeemer. You know what? God could have left it as survival of the fittest. Do your best, and if you meet my standard, I'll let you in. I'll welcome you. And if you don't, you're finished. I don't care. But no, God reached out to us in the person of his son and made himself a sacrifice to redeem us. Is God not worthy of the praise? Is that not greater than our situation or our circumstances or our feelings or our personal? Is that not so much greater? first commandment says you will have no other gods before or beside me God is a jealous God God is holy the law of God reveals his holiness <laughs> holiness is such that it means that God isn't in another class there is no class in which he exists. He is beyond class. He's beyond categories. He's, his uniqueness is, is absolutely unquantifiable. Unable to be defined. God is worthy of our praise. And the reason that God is a jealous God. And he doesn't want us to fall foul of idolatry. It's not just because he's self-centered and egotistical. But he realizes that he's better for us than anything else. Anyone else. Even our own selves. And so we see that God is worth our praise. Praise is a characteristic of God's people. Evidence and expression of his presence among us. Now in verse 18. It says we're not to be drunk with wine which is debauchery. But be filled with the spirit. God's presence in us. John chapter 7. If you want to turn there with me. And we looked at this a few months ago. 
Jesus at the great feast stood in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and he cried out, If anyone first, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He said he cried out. Now this, he said, in case you were unsure what he's talking about. Now this, he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus was predicting at that point what would become a reality in the very near future. That his people would have the presence of his spirit. Flowing from within us. And what is the qualification? What is it that puts us in that place where we're able to experience that reality in our lives? He who believes in me. And so through faith, the presence of the Holy Spirit becomes a reality within us. And yet from that, there's to be an outflow. And we see the singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs as being one evidence of his presence within his people. Praise is a testimony of God's presence within us. And when you look at verse 19, you see that that testimony is to us. There's a, there's a mutual exchange that's to take place as we praise God. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns. Addressing one another. What direction is that? That's right, B. Multi-directional. That as we praise, you know, I always used to hear, well, you know, you don't like the praise, don't watch that because it's not for you anyway. But that ain't what this is saying. You look in Colossians chapter 3.16, it says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there is a very real sense that it is for our benefit. How unselfish is God that even our praise would be for our mutual benefit? Crazy. And so when we don't engage in that, we're robbing one another. But we need the praise team. I mean, can't take it when there's no drums. No, the team is just a sample, a microcosm of the congregation, of us as a family, as a people. They help us lift our praise but we're not dependent on them and it's not a performance we live in such a consumer oriented culture that we're so used to just slipping in sitting down taking it in yeah feeling that oh, i'm not feeling that I'm, uh, i'll ignore that bit oh that's it yeah and then we just get up and leave and be like ah, okay cool and we come to church with that mentality like we're going to cinema
We want to pick and choose which part of the word we want to hear and we don't want to hear. Which part of the word we're going to obey and we're not going to obey. But no. When we come with that attitude, which ultimately is selfish, right? Standardly. Selfish. What happens is we rob our one another. You know how liberating it could be for someone to know you and know what you're going through and yet see you praise God. In the the song, Beautiful One, there's that line, though there's pain in the offering. Sometimes it's painful and we have to give what the scripture calls a sacrifice of praise. David in the Psalms, in the midnight hour, Lord, I will call unto you. When your life is in darkness and you ain't feeling it. But the reality is that actually that very expression and that very act can be the key to God working in your life in a different way. It can be the key to the Lord working in you and empowering you and energizing you in a different way. You see, the text talks about being filled with the spirit. And then as a result of that, the rest of the chapter flows out of that. And sometimes we quench the spirit of the Lord. First Thessalonians 5 says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And so how are we to be filled with the Spirit? How are we to walk in the Spirit? How do we quench the Holy Spirit? Well, we quench the Holy Spirit when we don't do what the Word says. And when we do what the Word says, the Holy Spirit, that that, that spring, that fountain of living water is given opportunity to flow from within our hearts and from within our lives. We uncap the source And as that flow happens, we are refreshed by it, just as others are. How many times have you come into church, gathered with the saints, and you've just been feeling low, and you've just come to meet with the Lord, and there's there's been that song, which was the right one for the right time, and you just were in the zone, and it could have been tears, but you just met with the Lord and left refreshed. Am I just talking to myself? Is it just me? You like it serious. Come on. If that's not you, then you, listen, you've got something to look forward to. It's not about whether we have great singing voice. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? And again, it's not a performance. We're rendering priestly service. Unto God. When you look in First Chronicles 16. Oh my days. And we see the Zadok priesthood established by David. And David said. Had 24 companies of priests. Whose job was to praise God. All day. There's a, there's a truism that says. 
A person is judged by what they praise. You like that dress? Nah, I wouldn't be seen dead in that. I can't believe you like that dress. You think that singer was a good singer? Are you joking? Often, a person is judged by what they praise because it reflects their values. It reflects what's important. It reflects what they really appreciate. And you see, as we express our praise, it becomes evident that God is appreciated by us. It becomes evident that God is valued by us. God's presence among us is evidenced. And the priests and David and the Zadoks, they knew this. And the Bible says of David that David was a man after God's own heart. Now what does that mean? That God really checked for David? Maybe. But one thing we do know is that David really checked for God. He was after God's heart. He was after God's heart. And so we had the priests established. And the Bible says in in 1 Peter, that we are a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. One of the doctrines of the church throughout the ages is, is through Christ we've become the priesthood of all believers. That all believers, there was just a select few, it was just Levites that were priests in the Old Testament. But now all believers in Christ Jesus are priests unto God. And so like the Zadok priests, as we bring praise to God, we are rendering priestly service. Not only are we rendering priestly service, but we're doing war. Now, as we grow in the Lord and we... We, we grow in the light of his word and understanding and he, he shapes and he forms us and he renews our mind. We can often find ourselves in a place where we feel tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we can often find, often find ourselves in a place where because we understand something differently now, we want to erase the whole thing. I used to hear about making war in the heavenlies. As the praises go up, the blessings come down. And there is a degree of truth in that. The Psalms do say that God inhabits the praises of his people. It's the Bible. God inhabits, he lives in the praises of his people. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God isn't here? And then when we start praising God, he's like, okay, I know I'm welcome here. I'll just slide in and make myself known. Like, evidently not. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere all the time. But as we, his people, praise him, there's nothing that changes about God's location. What changes is our awareness of him. 
How many remember the, the story of um, Jacob in Genesis when he met with the angel? And he was wrestling with the angel. Anywhere you bless me, Terry Garman. <laughs> Classic tune. Anywhere you bless me, I'll have it. I really don't mind. Anyway, you bless me, Lord, it's fine. Yeah, that was Jacob. But you know what? After it happened, he said, truly, the Lord is in this place and I never knew it. Because his awareness, his perception of God was awakened through his encounter. And that's what's being communicated when it talks about God inhabiting the praises of his people. That actually, as we praise God openly, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, commending God, speaking great to him, and how, how great he is, and commending to each other of how great God is, our consciousness is saturated with the awareness of God. He becomes a much more present reality to us. Not because he's changed his location and all of a sudden moved in the building. But because our hearts and minds have been opened through the declaration of God through praise. To the fact that he's present among us. They would send the singers before the army. And not only would it give the people a sense that God has gone before us as they hear God spoken of and his mighty works proclaimed but it would also cause the enemy to be aware that hey these people know their god they will be strong and do great exploits as it says in daniel chapter 11 32 those who know their god will be strong and do great exploits And so we see that there is great privilege and, and great benefit to be gained from praising God. But it's funny because God doesn't dangle that as an incentive. Because he wants our motivation to be simply to praise him for who he is. Praise him for who he is. Not just what he's done. We do praise him for what he's done. Brother said to me, yeah, you know that interview I went for the other day? I got the job. I'm like, Chee! he said, I haven't worked for four years. I'm like, God is good. And so we rejoice at what God does. Now, how are we to do this? It speaks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what are these things being spoken of here? Well, psalms are psalms, 1 to 150. The psalms were known as the songbook of Israel. And so, taking the word, taking the psalms, 
Hear my cry, oh Lord, attend unto my... And now at that point, all of you can hear, you're too bad, man. You're too bad, man. But that's a psalm. Anyone know what psalm that is? So how you can shout it out? 61? No? Joyce is nodding her head, but she's not telling me what it is, you know. (laughs) As a deer panted for the... hmm? 42. It's beautiful when we can sing a song and open the Bible and like, oh, straight out of the Psalms. Sing the word. Hymns. Okay. Hmm. Hymn. Yeah. Actually, what is a hymn? Then sings my soul, my Savior. You know that there are some people that will not give God praise using anything other than hymns. Because the hymns that they understand and appreciate they feel are more holy than any other kind of song. But this verse ain't talking about them kind of hymns. Obviously, it was written before those hymns were written. What we understand the hymn to be is simply a song that we are able to engage in collectively in praise. Something that lends itself to corporate expression of praise. And so, that's simply what a hymn is. It's not necessarily the great hymns of old, which I love. But it also gives place to modern songs used in corporate worship. Sometimes we can be very sentimental, overly so, when it comes to things such as the hymns. They've got great quality, packed with doctrine, focused on exalting Christ. But there are lots of modern songs that also have those qualities. And yet there are also spiritual songs, which you might consider to be those songs that are kind of everything else in between. In fact, in the text, you look at verse 14, we see an example of a song, a song that the Apostle Paul, in, sorry, in um, Ephesians 5, verse 14, quotes here, and most, mostly every commentator will recognize that actually, you know what, this is a quotation of a song we see from the structure that there is similarity to the songs of that day. And it's a simple three-line song. Verse 14, part B. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In some of your translations, you will see that maybe indented or kind of italicized. There's quotation marks around it. And that's a song. And obviously they never had no Overhead projectors, song sheets, OHP slides. 
It was a simple three-line song that they would repeat. And as they done so, people could join in and lift it up. It's beautiful in the way that it's Christ-centric. And yet this is an example of a song, but is this how our songs are to be? No. One of the reasons we see that the scripture is so light on defining what our praise is to look like, I sincerely believe it's because God has determined that wherever, whoever we are and wherever we're from, that we will find a conducive expression of our hearts that will be consistent with who we are and where we're coming from. When I first came to Calvary Chapel on a level, now I come from Pentecostal church. Used to play in the band, sing on the choir, like the music was my life. And when I first came to Calvary Chapel, I just saw a man on his guitar. Hey. I was like, okay, Lord. Thank you. Because at that point in my life, I was tired of the hype. I was tired of the froth. I was tired of the fluff. And I just wanted the simplicity and the clarity of just being able to express my heart to God without it having to be with like five key changes and ten part harmonies. And and that's how I was feeling at the time. But then there came a point where I was like, okay, Lord, I'm kind of through that now. And uh, I would love to see more instruments. And, but that wasn't the priority. The priority was the word. And yet, that struggle, as we look at chapter 5 and verse 19, is a legitimate struggle. And it's one that we still work through as a church. Because it's supposed to be consistent with who we are and, and something that's able to help us express our hearts to God. So the California guitar wasn't consistent with who I was and where I was coming from culturally. Now, the whole issue of culture and everything, you say, but yeah, but we're one in Christ. Yeah, we're one, but we're not the same. And that's a whole nother message that I look forward to preaching one day. We're one and not the same. As we become a Christian, we don't lose our cultural identity. It becomes submitted to Christ. It becomes submitted to Christ. And I think still, even for a lot of us, we struggle with that. We struggle with our identity as to who we are in Christ Jesus. And how does it work? And in some ways we struggle and we still carry on with our old cultural worldliness. And on other ways we just become repulsed by everything cultural. Yeah, but there's no such thing as an acultural experience. We come here together, we have a cultural experience. It's not absent of culture. The important thing is that it and we are submitted to Christ. And so we work through that, and you know what? It gives it's everything to play for. There's no definition as to style or how. There are principles. Let your moderation be known to all men in all things. It's not to be unseemly. And yet, 
we see that it gives a lot of scope for diversity in our expression of praise. And yet still, our praise isn't dependent on that. Verse 20, giving thanks always, not sometimes, not when we feel like it or when the going's good. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if we've been redeemed, praise is one of the ways that that will show. Not even just in song. It's, I love it when I meet people in like, in just in conversation. Everything's praise God, man. Bless the Lord. God is good. Praise ever on their lips. It suggests, it suggests to me that there's something going on in there. It's not ultimately the definitive thing because as I said before, anyone can fake it. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to praise God. Well, you know, this this doesn't define who I am so I can just, you know, I praise God through my life. Yeah, you do. We're supposed to. But we're supposed to praise him with our lips as well. And so, God is ultimately faithful. He is worthy of our praise. We're able to have the privilege of joining with creation as we give praise to our maker, sustainer, and redeemer. And Jesus said this, if you don't praise me, the very rocks will cry out. And so what a privilege we have. May we, where necessary, repent of our idolatry. Our self-centeredness that has put us and our needs, our apparent needs, as being greater than the God who is worthy of our praise. I'm